Uh, this morning, uh, we continue with our series that we've titled Starting Point. And uh, I'd like to show you a couple of friendships. Let's see if you identify who these friends are. You ready? I know at least someone in the church who will know who these are. Right? If, if you went around in the 60s or the 70s, you probably watched them on TV, and now there's different styles of them. But what's interesting is that they always work together with a bam, wow, it was awesome. Let's see if you identify these other friends. Now, probably younger, younger crowds. See, last week when I was talking about the generations, remember? Uh, the younger generation say, well, how come you didn't talk about us? Well, you're not depressed yet. But, uh, but, but younger generations probably know who these, these are. This is Phineas and Ferb. Oh, now you know, right? Now you know. How about this ones? Okay, that scares me that you know who these are and not the other ones. Okay, Ethel and Lucy, right? But how about this one? Now, some, some friendships are characteristic of one generation, but some other friendships go through generations. And it's quite interesting that those of us who were young in the 90s remember these friends, and my kids' generation know who these friends are. But the question is this. Regardless of when the friendship is started, when they lived or where, the question is, what makes a friendship long-lasting? What makes friendship last? What is the ingredient, the magic ingredient for friendship to go through thick and thin? If you take your notes out, that uh, handout that you received with your bulletin this morning, uh, we'll go to find the biblical principles of friendship. And Proverbs 27.9 says, and I'm reading for the New Living Translation, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. It's as sweet as perfume and, as, and incense. So what makes a true friend? You see, the principles that we're about to share this morning are for not just friendship, but for all kinds of relationships. You see, if you're a spouse, you're going to need these principles. If you are parents, you are going to need these principles to relate to your kids. If you have co-workers, you are going to need these principles at your job. If you are a human... You are going to need these principles because all of us need to experience relationships. Now, to make these principles even better, look at them through the sight of your circle of love. I'm sure all of you already have this, right? And through the week, you've been praying about what names you're going to write on each one of the four categories. And as you think about these principles that we're teaching also think about the people that are written on your circle. Because 
things will start to make more sense on how to relate to each one of those individuals. So the reality is that it is difficult to connect with people. But it's very easy to disconnect from people. It's difficult to establish relationships. But it's very easy to break them. So how can we restore relationships? The first principle of relationships is that we need to learn to be courageous and take the initiative. We need to learn to be courageous and take the initiative. So taking the first step. You see, a lot of us say when, when somebody hurt us and when somebody that, that, that we want to be friends with, we, we can wait. You know, you see this dynamic everywhere. You see it in school. You see it at the job place. You see it at church. You know, uh, some of us come to, to the lunch table or to, or to church and we sit in a somewhat of an isolation because we don't know anybody. Or we sit at the table to have lunch by ourselves. But if you really want to start a friendship, you need to take the first step. Because see, when we let fear dictate our relationships, a few bad things happen. And the first thing that happens is that we become defensive. So, so when we become defensive out of fear in relationships, we don't really tell other people who we really are. And we try to cover who we really are pretending or, 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 or saying things that cover up our true self. And we learn to defend and protect ourselves instead of relating to people. The second thing that fear does is that fear keeps us distant. And we talk about our privacy. But in reality, it's an issue of honesty. Because see, only the deepest relationships or in deep relationships is that we'll, they became deep because you share who you were with someone else. There's people who have been friends for a long time, but they're never past the stage of acquaintance. And you probably can think about people who you know everywhere who haven't passed that level with you. Either because they haven't been honest or because you haven't. And finally, fear affects our relationships because we become insecure. And we try to con control the narrative of what's going on in the relationship. So if we let fear control our relationships, we will never be able to experience deep relationships. And see, it's quite interesting that the scripture is full of examples of deep relationships. We can think of Saul and, I mean, of David and, and Jonathan, Saul's son. You can think of them, that Jonathan was willing to give out the throne for his friend David. We can think of Jesus. The Bible says that there's no better friend than the one who gives his life for his friends. So the Bible encourages us to take the first step to become friends. And, and, and Paul, when he writes to Timothy from jail in 2 Timothy 1.7, says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power. Or other translations says courage, love, and self-discipline. 
Because you see, when, when, when you have a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit descend, descends upon you, now it, it, it transfers into deep and courageous relationships. Because no one who has the Holy Spirit keeps it for himself. See, we've been reading the book of Acts during the week, and when we study chapter 2, we discover something really interesting. And I say we discover because I've been discovering along with all of you uh, what the book of Acts is teaching us. And one of the interesting things that I discovered is that the, the disciples, even though they, were, they had been with Jesus for three and a half years, they had seen Jesus perform miracles. They have done miracles in the name of Jesus. They have listened to his teachings. They still not have the Holy Spirit the way they were intended to have it. But once they received it, they could not stop sharing. So once we receive the Holy Spirit, we cannot keep it for ourselves. That means that the result of experiencing the Holy Spirit in someone's life is relationships. And from 12, 70. And from 70, 3,000. And then 5,000. But we have to be courageous. First, I guess, to ask God to give us the Holy Spirit. And second, that we share it freely. God, the Bible tells us, that is love. And the Bible tells us that love casts out all fears. So let's be courageous. The second principle of relationships, family, is that we have to be considerate of their needs. To connect with people, we must start with their needs. Not ours, but theirs. Not our own needs, but their needs. Philippians 2.4 says, don't look out only for you. For your own benefit, but take an interest in others too. You see, I have to tell you two realities of, of, of life. The first, it might be painful, but the first reality of life is that the world does not turn around you. See, we are part. We are part of the history of this world. We are part, even better, of the story of God. And the story of God, it's the relationship that he has with all human beings. That's how it was in the Old Testament. That's how it was in the New Testament. And that's the way it is now. The story of God is his relationship with people. So there's not one individual other than Jesus in which history turns around. The second reality of life is that we are placed in this world to help alleviate the needs of others. We are placed in this world to help alleviate the needs of others. See, all the gifts, all the talents, all the abilities, all the things that you can do, God gave them to you so that you can help someone else. And you see, the worst thing that could happen to a human being is to think more about himself than someone else. 
Because right there and then is denying the ability that God has given that individual to do good. And when good stops being done, sinful thoughts come in. Selfishness. Greed. Because the moment I start thinking only about myself, I'm already stopping the power of God to work through me. So the Bible is quite interesting. Notice what Colossians 3.13 says. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The third reality of life is that people around you are not perfect. And shocker, neither are you. So that means that along the way, along the way, someone is going to do something you're not going to like to you. And when that happens, you have only two choices. Forgive or not forgive. That is the question. Forgive or not forgive. But notice what Paul says right here in Colossians. The Lord forgave you, so you must not you should, now you should think about it. You must forgive others. Now, now let me tell you something about this. Uh, because in heaven, in heaven, the only kind of people that are going to be there are not just forgiven, but forgivers. Because the moment that you don't forgive someone who wronged you, automatically you're saying, I don't want to be forgiven. The result of being or accepting God's forgiveness is to forgive others. So in heaven, there will not be people who said, uh, I forget, but I won't forgive. Or the other ones who say, I forgive, but I don't forget. That's not forgiving. That's keeping a grudge. So that kind of thinking is not going to make it to heaven. Now, the fourth reality of life is this promise. When I focus on the needs of others, God has promised to fulfill my needs. Let me say that again. When I worry about helping others in their moments of need, God has promised that he's going to be with me when I need the most. So if we are put on this planet to help alleviate the needs of others, it's because God has promised that as we do that, he is going to supply what we need when we need it. Uh, there was a, 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 one of those... Abby letters written. Remember Dear Abby? And this woman wrote, Dear Abby, I'm a 44-year-old woman, and I'm looking for a man my age with no bad habits. Abby wrote back, so would I. So the truth is that there's no perfect people in the world. There's no perfect people in the world. So we need to learn not only to help them with their needs, but accept them with their 
deficiencies. In fact, uh, a long time ago, I celebrated a, 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 one of those 50-year uh, wedding anniversaries with a, with a couple from church. And uh, when they were talking to me about that, uh, I asked them. I was barely starting in this life as a, as a pastor and as a married person, and I asked them, what's the secret? How do you guys make it this far? And they just looked at each other and said, you know, we just know that we're going to make mistakes. We just knew that we're not perfect. So the best thing that we could have learned is how to forgive each other. And isn't it interesting that the Bible says that don't let your anger linger and, and, and not to go to bed angry, right? And someone said about that, well, it doesn't say anything about starting a, an argument once you're in bed. But that's a different story. That's a different story. So that leads us to the next principle, that in relationships, we need to learn to be constructive with our words, Constructive with our words. And that is such a difficult thing. But see, Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let me read that again in case you missed it. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And Solomon said in Proverbs, that it's not in your notes, but I, uh, it says that words either have the power to have life or to take it away. So it is quite interesting the power that our words carry when we say them. So it, it's kind of simple, actually. Not easy, but it's simple. God wants us to speak, and when we speak, that our words... Encourage someone else. In fact, the Bible, the Bible never says that we should put anyone down. In fact, parents, the Bible never says to give our children guilt trips. Okay, you didn't laugh at that one. Okay. I, I think that our words are kind of a, like a power tool. Have you ever bought a drill? Or a jackhammer? Or a saw? Have you ever seen one? Okay. You know they exist? Home Depot is a place where... Uh, and this is what happens with power tools. Power tools have amazing power. If it's a drill, you can perforate and, and drive uh, uh, screws. If it's a saw, you can cut through different kinds of materials. If it's a jackhammer, you can dig on concrete and, and hard surfaces. And if you let that tool just run wild, that tool could do a lot of destruction. Holes everywhere. I remember when we moved to our house 18 years ago, uh, the, the people who lived in our house had been invited to leave the house. So the house was empty for about a year or so. In fact, we had a raccoon living in the attic. One day I'm looking up at the house. You know, we had just recently moved. And then I saw eyes looking at me through a grill. And I was like, what, what is that? It was a family of raccoons. 
I had to evict them. Sorry. Uh, but see, what, what happens is that when they left the house, they took everything with them. The countertops from the kitchen. They took lamps off the wall. So there were holes everywhere. So I, I needed help to live in the house to fix it because I'm not very handy. Or should I say Thule? I don't know. So, so um, uh, this, this team of workers came to the house and brought their tools out and noise all over the place. And they were able to, to patch the holes and replace things that were broken and pieces of the floor that were missing and countertops. And all these things. So instead of using their tools to destroy, they used their tools to build. All the power that those tools could harness was used to build up things and make them beautiful. And that is exactly what the Bible tells us here. So, as we stopped using our words for destruction, we have to think of it as this power tool. So the first, I, I guess, um, um, instruction how to use our power tool would be to, to stop excusing yourself. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Have you ever said that? I have. You say something because you could. And maybe because you felt it. And after you realize, maybe because of the face of your spouse or someone's being hurt, then you say, oh, so I didn't mean it. We have to stop excusing ourselves. Second, we have to learn to talk less. And believe it, take it from somebody who gets paid to talk. We have to learn to talk less. You know that most of our problems, most of the, 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 the difficult times that we experience in life are because we talk too much? Especially if you like to embellish things. You say a little bit too much, and then there's no way to back up. The third instruction that we need to learn for, to use our, our power tool is to listen more. Listen more. You know, I heard a, a, an old preacher, well, a while ago, not necessarily he was old, but a, a while ago, uh, a preacher saying that that is why God gave, God gave us two ears and one mouth. So that we can listen twice as much as we talk. And finally, to use our, our power tool correctly, we have to use it to build up people. To encourage, to motivate. You know, it took me a while to realize how important motivating my wife is. And I'll tell you why. Because see... All of us, maybe you've heard about this. This is not new. This is back from the 60s. Uh, somebody came up with the idea that everyone has a different love language. For some of us, it's touch, words of affirmation, giving gifts, doing things. And you see, for me, it's really easy because I, for me, it's touch. I love with my hands. Maybe that's why I play volleyball. I don't know. But see, it's very difficult, husbands, it's very difficult to, to, to figure out your wife's love language because they do things for you. They talk to you. 
They touch you. They give you things. So it's very difficult to figure out what is their love language. At least it was to me. And believe me, I work figuring out human behavior. And it was so difficult for me. Until I realized how damaging the negative things that I said were to her. Things that I didn't even thought about being negative were hurtful. And that's when I realized. Paola's love language is words of affirmation. Because the opposite is killing her. So I have to learn to use my power tool to build up, to build up my wife. And the Bible tells us that that is the reason why we have the ability to talk, to communicate. Imagine how bad it is when we don't build things the correct way. Remember the Tower of Babel? When they were not building things the right way, what God said, okay, I'm going to confuse your communication. That is how important this is. The next principle, family, about relationships is that we need to, we need to learn to be candid about problems. Dealing in relationships and going to the next level in relationships, we're going to see that people make mistakes, Right? And, 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 you know, being a pastor, when people come and tell me their things, as a man, we are designed in our neurons to figure out what's wrong, to solve it. That's how men, we are wired, to find solutions. That's why when our wives are talking to us, we are looking for a solution. We're not really caring about what they're saying. We're listening to a solution, right? And it's happened to me that as, uh, as I'm hearing words and I'm looking for that answer, and I'm just waiting because I got it, right? I know how to solve it. I, I'm waiting for that moment when she stops talking just to tell my answer. But if she doesn't stop talking, then she keeps giving more information, and now my answer is useless. Man, I have to find another one, right? And then at the end, what do you think? I, I don't know what you said. I was looking for answers. Right? So, so that's what happens to us. So, and as a pastor, sometimes, you know, people come with their problems. And I needed to learn right away that my job was not to give answers. My job was to point to the answer. So when people are in difficult times because of their choices, of their, of their lifestyle, of whatever situation they got into... Our job is to be candid about how we face, help them with their problems, especially in relationships. Because we we've always, we, all of us have that friend that, you know, guess what happened to me, right? And we're quick to, see, I told you not to do that. You should hadn't been there. I told you that was bad news. That person, I told you. But see, Proverbs, written by the wisest man on earth besides Jesus. Maybe that's why I say man on earth. An honest answer, he says in Proverbs 24, 26, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. An honest answer. So we're not going to tell him, oh, you're okay. It'll go away. No. We're not going to sugarcoat it. We're just going to tell it, but 
Not condemning. Not attacking. Not hurting. They already know they've made a boo-boo. We're not there to add salt to the injury. We're there to help. So, because when we're candid with someone who is in, in problems, and we are with them, that's a form of connection. Being with someone when they're hurting, it's a form of connection. So see, we're not in, indicated to hurt people. We're here to support people. And see, honesty builds relationships. And, and, and flattery destroys them. Because that's the other side of it. You know, if, you have some, if you're blessed enough to have someone in your life who tells you when you make mistakes... Praise God for that. But if you are that individual that all the people around you tell you, oh, you know, that's so good. Oh, you know, you did so well. And everything is flattery. I read somewhere that flattery, it's a sign of manipulation. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs, the same, the same author, the one that says that, that, uh, that our words either build or destroy, it says that flattery, it's a knife on your back. Now, this is the moment when we have to stop and think. Do I have someone who loves me enough to correct me when I make mistakes. If you are finding it difficult to answer this question, perhaps it's time for you to start building relationships in a better way. Now, if you are that friend that corrects others, Because some of us have that gift. <laughs> if you are that friend that, who corrects others, remember, compliment in public, correct in private. Correct when they up, not when they're down. You know, parents, it is, why am I speaking to parents today? You know, church. It is so important, so important that we understand timing for the things that we say. Because the right word at the wrong time is the wrong thing. When somebody is hurting and somebody is sad or somebody is angry, that's not the time to correct them. Because those are signs that they realize that they made a boo-boo. So the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And third, and third, never offer correction that you are not willing to take. Never offer correction that you are not willing to take. 
Don't tell your child to stop playing with the phone if you are not. Okay, let me move on. Now, the best way, and at the same time I'm fortunate, but the best way to move relationships to a deeper connection is through the tunnel of problems. Because as two people walk together through the tunnel of difficulties, a bond is created that could hardly be replicated. Because, see, there's a lot of people who are close to us when everything is fine. It's a lot easier to be with people when things are fine and dandy. But when problems occur, that person who is with you during that time, you know is worth it as a friend. So, there's two kinds of relationships. Only two kinds. Shallow and deep. Shallow relationships, we all have them, and we have a lot of them. A lot. Thinking about this message, I, I decided to go through my Facebook page. And I have close to 4,000 friends. There's some people there who I don't even know who they are. Because this is what happened. See, this is what would happen. I would go to a country and preach, and I would preach at that church. Coming back during that week, people from that place in that country would ask me to be their friends on Facebook. Oh, yeah, I remember you. Sure. That happened 12 years ago. I don't know who they are anymore because I don't have that depth in their relationship. But they are my friends on Facebook. Believe me, you watch it. Nothing against you. It's just that we're not that close. But there's others who they're not even in Facebook with me. And we have deeper relationships. Because we have gone through stuff together. So there's only two kinds of relationships. Shallow and deep. And the difference between shallow relationships and deep relationships, it's problems, it's challenges, it's difficulties. Because when someone has experienced difficulties and challenges and problems with one person, the bond that is created after going through that challenge, it's like childbirth. The pain, unbearable pain, and I don't know anything about it, but I've been there three times. The pain, unbearable pain, excruciating pain. My hands almost broken from being squished. <laughs> at the end of that, at the end of that, when you hear that cry on that baby and it's placed on your arms, there is love that you never thought you could have. And it's kind of like that. When you go through the channel of pain and problems and difficulties with a person on the other side... It's love. 
steps on the relationship. In Proverbs 27, verse 5, it says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So, we have to be candid as we go through the problems of life with another person. Because those problems, as we go together through them, help to enhance the relationship. And finally, well, you know when a, when a preacher says, and finally, right? You know what that, what that means? Nothing in absolutely, you know, nothing. Uh, be confidential with the information. In Proverbs 11, 13 says, A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. The reality is that you and I have been victims of gossip. Either you've been the one in the gossip or you've been the one sharing the gossip. One of my favorite stories is about this man, this sinner, who came to talk to his rabbi. Because he had experienced the sin of gossiping. And the rabbi told him, you know, there's one thing that you can do to fix your problem. What is it? And the rabbi told the man, you know, grab a feather pillow, go to the top of the mountain, rip the pillow open, and let the feathers fly. All right. So the man did. Got a pillow, went to the top of the mountain, ripped the pillow case, and let the feathers fly. He came back to the rabbi after doing his chore and said, Rabbi, I did it. Is that it? said, no, now go and collect all of them back. And that is exactly what happens with gossip. Once it leaves, never comes back. We can remember Moses in the Old Testament. His sister, Miriam, was gossiping about him. And how did God react to that gossip? He gave her leprosy. So see, God does not enjoy that practice. Because when we are not able to keep information in a relationship confident, we're not able to keep our relationship. I think that's self-explanatory. And last one now for reals. Be committed to the relationship. Be committed to the relationship. Good relationships take time. Take time. It is quite amazing when, when, when a couple is going to be married, the diverse number of answers to the question, how long have you dated? You see... Following advice for, for, from Sister White, she says that dating should be no longer than six months. And we're thinking, no, six months, no, that's way too short. Right? And, and like, for example, Paul and I, we dated for five years. Granted, four of those I was away at school. So we saw each other only a few weeks a, a year. 
But see, the reality is this. It's not how long you dated. It's the quality of the time you spent together. As you go through the steps of the relationship. Because also we have another problem. That we jump through the steps of the relationship way too quickly. And when we build on, the, on our relationship, skipping steps, the foundation is going to be weak. Are you with me? So, the, the relationships are built upon a process, and a process, when it's followed carefully, has a strong foundation. But the thing about relationship, a dating relationship, is not how long it lasted before marriage. It's how long it lasts after marriage. The relationship of friends is not really how many years you've been friends. It's how deep your friendship has been. And the only way that those two things could happen is how committed you are to those relationships. In Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal. Emphasis on the word always. It's not only loyal at times or when the mood allows or when the stuff we're doing is fun. It's loyal all the time. As a brother is born to help in times of need. Now, let's make it practical. Do you have your circle? You received it today. Those of you who received it last week, you written names of people on that circle and the four categories. Now, this circle represents the people that you want to build relationships with. Because let me tell you what, when you build relationships based on prayer, the result has a spiritual dimension. But this is the thing, and this is the challenge that I bring to you today. Every single one of those 12 people that you've written on your circle are at some level of relationships. Some might be shallow. Some might not even be shallow yet. Some are people that you're thinking about, but you have no relationship other than you know their name. Some others are really close to you. So your task for the coming days is to go through the principles that we talked about today and figure out which of these principles it's the necessary one to move from shallow to deeper in the relationship with each one of these individuals. Is that clear? Now you're like, uh, writing names was easy. Praying for people is easy. But talking to people? Well, you know how to talk to people now. You know how to deal with them if they have problems, if they have, if they have needs. You know what to do when they share something with you. But above all, it's a commitment. Because that commitment, it's going to help that person and you 
Not just to become better people here, but become citizens of heaven. Because a relationship that begins on prayer has its spiritual consequences. So now we know what to do. Don't lose your circles. Proverbs 18.24. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. When two people really connect, when two people really connect, life starts to make sense. Something is poured in the relationship that without that connection could never be experienced. Perhaps you remember friendships from your childhood. People from long ago, when you experienced life with them, when you played together on the street, when you got in trouble together and you survived and you have a story to tell. You talk about that person in different terms that you talk about your co-worker or your boss. Because when those moments of life are experienced together, life takes a different, different flavor. And not just that. But when two people connect, there's the power that heals all wounds. So my prayer for you today is that we move in depth in our relationships. Don't think about all 12 at a time. No, you're going to go crazy. Take one at a time. Make a difference with one of those individuals in your circle, one at a time. Because they're all different depths of the relationship. Start with the easy ones. Just like when you're learning to swim. Start, start at the kiddie pool. And then move on to the deep end. But don't s stay static. Move along in the pool of relationships and exercise.